Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on where you are listening from in the world. Welcome to Tanya in Real Life. I'm so excited to be here. We are up to chapter six, and today's topic is our Nefesh HaBahamas, our animal self, the, the human dimension within us. For the past few weeks, we've been talking a lot about our vast, limitless spiritual wealth, our neshama, the actual part of Hashem within us. Our neshama is actually only one of our two drivers. It's only one of our nefashas, one of ourselves. We have an entirely separate self, and that's known as our nefesh abahamis, our animal self, or our human dimension, which we met in chapter one in Perak Aleph. Today, we'll be exploring that in detail once again. Now, before we dive into our Nefesh Bahamas, our animal self, it's important to remember this, that in any situation, in any given moment, any time, wherever we are, only one of our two nefashas, one of our two drivers are actually in our driver's seat, in the control of our mind, heart, and our behavior. And so... Whenever we're not switching on our nefesh elikis, whenever we're not switching on our neshama, the default setting is our is our nefesh Bahamas. Sorry, your camera's um, in long. Other words, if we ever revert to company settings, our primitive, undeveloped, raw state of being is our um, animal self. The camera's not controlled by our nefesh habahamis, and that means that whenever we're not consciously switching on our neshama, the light of our neshama, we're not thinking in the language and in the drive, in the energy of our neshama, whenever we're not actively allowing our neshama to dominate, direct, control our minds, our hearts, our behavior, we are being dominated by our animal self. And that's why I often refer to our animal self as our regular, ordinary human self, because that's who we are unless we're consciously choosing to be our neshama. That's who, are, that's who we are when we're tired. That's who we are when we have no energy to invest in our work. This is our natural human state of being. So as we explore our Nefer Bahamas, what we're really coming to understand and to know is how we operate, what our inner psyche is like, who are we when we are tired and just not focused on and distracted from our neshama? How does our inner system work when we are not switching on the light, the energy, the focus of our neshama? So the first thing we learn in this chapter is that Hashem, whatever strength our neshama has, that's how much strength our animal self has. Whatever strength, Hashem made the world in a parallel form so that whatever energy is invested, whatever energy and strength and potential exists in, in the spiritual dimension also exists on the other side. So our animal self is in direct proportion. It's parallel in strength and in parallel in capacity, equal in capacity of strength to our neshama. And the reason for this is because if we only had a neshama, there would be no choice. We would always be conscious of Hashem's presence, and we would always be aligned with Hashem's ratzayin, Hashem's will, Hashem's desire. We would always be elevated to a deep place of awareness and active bonding with Hashem. 
But that would all happen without a choice. And Hashem wanted us to have a choice. You see, Hashem did not want us to be malachim. Hashem did not want us to be angels. Here's enough of them. Billions, gazillions of them in all the heavens. Hashem wants us to be human beings who have the capacity to be in a state of unawareness, who have the capacity to therefore deny and contradict his truth. And, and yet we choose to be aware of him. We choose to know him. We choose to embrace his truth. We choose, we choose to discover him. And from that place of the possibility for unawareness, our awareness by choice, our consciousness by choice is that much more precious and meaningful. That's what makes it a service to Hashem because it's an effort. It takes, it takes work. It takes focus. It takes energy. So in order for our choice to be a conscious choice and a choice that takes constant effort and energy, Hashem gives us the possibility for distraction. Hashem gives us the possibility for what I like to call otherness. I can't the see you. The possibility to, to forget, to deny Hashem's truth, to be un completely distracted from it and to live from the place of that void, of that emptiness and all the delusion that is built on top of that void, on top of that emptiness. Now, if our neshama would be stronger than our animal self, the choice wouldn't be equal. The choice wouldn't be a fair choice. If our animal self, by contrast, would be stronger than our, than our neshama, then that also wouldn't be unfair. So what does Hashem do? Hashem, and this is the first lines with which the Baal Tanya opens chapter six, is Hashem gives equal parallel strengths and capabilities to both our neshama and our animal self so that we should have a choice. My personal thought on this and my reflection on this is that a person whose nefesh Bahamas is very strong, um, a person whose kaiches nefesh, that potential, that capability, the capacity of the nefesh Bahamas of the animal self is very, very strong, know that you also have a very powerful, high energy, high potential neshama, high, high light. <laughs> neshama. If you are struggling with a strong nefesh Bahamas, with strong feeling like such intense feelings, such intense um, emotions, such intense pulls, um, such intense distraction, such intense force, take comfort in knowing that you have all that strength you need to shine with even more brightness. Or to say this without the you you know without the analogy of light. If you get strongly absorbed in your human emotions, in your in your raw, primitive, nefesh Bahamas animalistic emotions, which we call our human self, because the emotions are so intense, so you get so pulled into it, that's an indicator that your capacity for love and awe of Hashem is equally intense. And we have a halacha that tells us that a full, right, the cup, the, when we make havdalah, the cup, we're supposed to fill up our cup of wine until it overflows, right? So let's say, um, let's say you have a four ounce cup 
right? So to get that four ounce cup to overflow, you just need 4.1 ounces of liquid and it overflows. But if you take that same amount of liquid and you put it into an eight ounce cup, you didn't even fill it up. So that teaches us that each of us has, we don't have to fill, we don't have to be somebody else's best. We don't have to have somebody else's level of intensity or somebody else's level of love and connection, sense of connection and sense of awe of Hashem. We have to fill up our own cup. Now, if we have a very big cup, a huge capacity for emotions, then we need to turn on our spiritual emotions that much more. We need to fill a huge cup. So if you have an intense capacity to, you really like food, then that means you have the capacity to really, really love and take pleasure and delight in Hashem's presence, in Hashem's love, in our connection with Hashem. For every inch that we don't fill our hearts and minds with our neshama-fueled capacities, our neshama-fueled emotions and beliefs and perspectives, we will be filled with our Nefeshah Bahamas-fueled emotions and perspectives. Okay, so because that's the, that's the nature of our being. The more intense personality we have, the more intense capacity we have for our neshama, the more effort we need to invest in staying, staying in the place of our awareness of Hashem because we're pulled away that much stronger, but then we have that much more capacity to, to shine forth with much greater light. So what is our Nefesh Bahamas? What is it? The Baal Tanya calls the emotions bad. Sheva, Midas, Ra'is. These emotions are bad. Now, before we go into, we'll read it inside in the Tanya, but in what sense are they bad? Because the word bad triggers very a, a very deep sense of shame and negativity and like um, evil monsters, right? When I think about the word bad, I think about a criminal or somebody who's immoral, somebody who's malicious, somebody who has very evil intentions, like a sinful creature. So does that mean that I have that badness in me? What does it mean? Okay, in the Balatanya's paradigm, there's only one good in the universe. There's only one good in the universe, and that is Hashem. Hashem is the only good. According to the Balatanya, there's one truth and one goodness, and that is HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Melech Malchem Lachem HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And anything that conceals or denies Hashem, or even potentially conceals Hashem's truth, is called bad. Even anything that has the potential to conceal Hashem's truth is bad. Why? Because it's, not because it's malicious, not because it's wicked, because it has the potential to distract us from Hashem's emes, from Hashem's truth. And so the Nefesh Bahamas in the Baal Tanya's paradigm is called bad because it obstructs, it obstructs Hashem's presence. It conceals and denies, it gets in our way of awareness of Hashem's truth. It's like a shell. It's like a shell. Klipa means a shell. It conceals Hashem's truth. That's why it's called Klipa. And here's what this looks like in real time. For the last few weeks, we're using the muscle of a billionaire who has billions, like a vast wealth, 
um, and doesn't know about it, right? It's in the bank and he lives in poverty. And that's what we, we called our, our neshama is that vast, limitless inner wealth that we have. Now, let's say one day the billionaire wakes up, he has awareness, he wants to go cash in on his vast wealth. He wants to go, he takes his bank card, he goes to the bank and he's ready to buy something precious and valuable. He's ready to buy a new house. He's ready to give a lot of tzedakah to others to help to make the world a better place, to use his money in constructive, beautiful, meaningful ways. Now on his way to the bank, what happens? Um, on his way to the bank, he meets a friend, a friend that he trusts, a, tr a friend that he, um, a friend that he respects. And this friend says, where are you going? And, and the, and, and the billionaire says, I'm going to the bank. I have, I have vast, uh, vast, um, you know, wealth in the bank. And I'm going to really, you know, I'm going to buy beautiful things. I'm going to buy pleasurable things. I'm going to buy very high quality things. And just, just quickly, I want to say what this looks like in an emotional sense. Okay. Because if we have that vast inner wealth, that's the source of our courage, of our wisdom, of our love, of our tolerance, of our dignity, of our worthiness, all that emotional wealth comes from our spiritual wealth. Okay. So the, the money is just one type of muscle. The emotional wealth is the actual application, the actual translation. But on our way to swipe the card, we meet this trusted friend and we tell him where we're going. You know, I'm going to cash out on my wealth. I'm going to use it. And the trusted friend says, ay, 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 you're serious? You're going there? You're going to that bank? Show me your card. You're using that card? No, no, no. It's, 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 you don't need that. I have something much better for you. You, it's, it's invalid. That bank shut down a long time ago. Your card doesn't work. Now this animal self, this friend is our Nefesh Bahamas. It's our animal self. It distracts us. It tells us we have more urgent matters to take care of, more important than going to the bank. And this animal self, this Nefesh Bahamas of ours is, comes with a Yetzahara. The Yetzahara takes it to a whole new level of distraction because not, the Yetzahara says that bank does not exist. That whole thing that, you know, someone told you about that wealth that you have, it's a farce. It's not true. It's completely irrelevant. Don't waste your time. Come, I'll show you where the truth is. This is the truth. And he points to something else that's really a lie. This trusted friend is our Nefesh Bahamas, our animal self, and the friend of the friend is the Yetzahara, our inherent force of distraction and delusion. And this is exactly what happens in our minds and hearts when we are set to cash in on the wealth of our neshama, to cash in on the limitless spiritual wealth and emotional wealth that we get from having an actual part of Hashem invested constantly within us. Our neshama is driven to express that light, to let it show up, to swipe that bank card and experience the limitless emotional wealth and the spiritual goodness that is ours, that's our birthright. From the perspective of our neshama, we're actively ready to engage in that wealth because our neshama is one with Hashem and it knows with perfect clarity, we're nothing but his empowerment of us. Our nefesh Bahamas, our animal self has none of that clarity, none. And so our animal self is driven to pursue comfort and pleasure because it inherently perceives itself as an independent being that must 
take care of itself. I need comfort and pleasure. I'm not going there because I don't know about that. I'm like, that seems too hard. That seems too far. It seems too impossible. Plus, the Eight Sahara says, not only is it hard, not only is, is it possible, is it impossible, it's irrelevant. It's not even true. It's not practical. Don't even bother trying. And because of this, our the Balatanya calls our animal self our human dimension. Remember, I'm calling the human dimension because this is our default setting. Whenever we're not consciously aware of our neshama, whenever we're not consciously putting our neshama in our driver's seat, we're driven by our nefesh abahamas, by our animal self. And so I'm calling it our human dimension. And the Balatanya calls it bad, not because it's malicious, not because it's not because it's criminal, not because it's a murderer, not because it's a monster, but because it is inherently a distraction from Hashem. It distracts us from Hashem and the Yetzirah makes it more than a distraction, but a delusion. So let's read all of this in the first lines of the Tanya. Perek Vav, Vihine, and here, Vihine, and Unat, right? And here, behold, Zel Umazeh Asa Elekim, Hashem made both sides equally pa parallel, parallel in strength. Just like our nefeshali kiss, our neshama is comprised of the 10 holy supernal spheres, that the 10 capacities, the 10 strengths, of which we said three are intellectual and seven are emotional. And it encloses itself in three holy garments, our thought, speech, and action become holy expressions transparent to Hashem, right? They become expressions of our neshama. So too, our nefesh, the sitra achra, meklipas nega, our nefesh that's on the other side of our neshama, that the part that comes from the klipas nega, that's a shell that conceals Hashem's presence, Badam Adam, which exists in our blood, klula me'es, this comes from the 10 crowns of impurity. Shehein Sheva Midas Ra'is, which are the seven bad Midas Ra'is, other emotions, Haba'is Me'arba Yesodis Ra'im, which come from those four elements of creation. And again, the Balatan is calling them bad because they have the possibility to distract us from the good that we need in, in our lives. The Seichel HaMelidan and the intellect, which gives birth to them, Hanechlak L'Shalesh, which is divided into three, Shehein Chachma, Bina, and Da'as, Mekar Hamidais, the foundation, the source of the Midais. Okay, now we just talked about, if you remember, when we talked about our Neshama, our Nefesh kiss, the First, the Balatanya mentioned the three intellectual capabilities, the three intellectual strengths. And only after that, the Balatanya mentioned the seven midas. And then came the seven midas. And we said that it's because we can only experience the emotions of our neshama can only be generated in our hearts by an investment of our intellectual strength. It's only when we think about Hashem, we learn about Hashem, we think about Hashem, we absorb that truth, then we could have emotions around Hashem. 
in our any any ruchniest emotions, any emotions about Hashem, any emotions about our neshama must be preceded by an investment of thought, and not just thought, but real absorption of that idea. And now our nevesha Bahamas is totally different. Our human dimension operates on a completely different plane. With the animal self, the Baal Tanya mentions the emotions first, right? We just said, Sheva Midas Ra'is, the seven emotions, and then Visechal Hamalidan and the intellect that gives birth to them, followed by the intellect. This is because, in contrast to emotions of our Neshama, very different from our emotions of Neshama, which we could only experience after an investment of effort and energy on our part, how do we experience human emotions? In a whole different way. Human emotions don't take any investment of effort on our part. They come to us automatically and without any conscious effort. Another thing about the different, another difference about our emotions, just in a, in a nutshell, is that our, our Nefesh Bahamas is primarily a, an emotional creature because emotions are, are, exist only within ourselves. Emotions are, are only a reality within our own selves. They, that's where emotions take place. Intellect, um, although it takes place, any idea that you understand, it, it, it's, it begins in your mind, but it, it, it encapsulates so much more than your, than your mind. We don't need to think about the, let's go back to the automaticity because that's the main idea here. We don't need to think about ice cream, how good it is. We don't need to think about ice cream being sweet in order to develop a desire for that ice cream. We see it, we want it automatically, right? Chazal tell us how ayin the eye sees it, the heart desires it. And it's the same with all of our emotions, same with all of our desires, our fears, our, our anything that we're drawn to. We naturally experience emotions in relation to the events and circumstances that we encounter in our lives. Nobody needs to tell me to be upset if I'm hurt. If someone says something hurt, nobody needs to tell me, oh, you're supposed to be hurt. I automatically feel hurt. Someone does something nice for me or says something nice to me, nobody needs to tell me, okay, now you're supposed to feel happy. I automatically feel happy. So what brings us to a question, because the Balatanya does say, lidan, right? And he refers to the, um, to the intellect as the source of the emotion. So if our desires and our fears are, if they happen automatically as a response to triggers outside of ourselves, what is the influence of our intellect. Where does our beliefs and values come in? Now, of course, we need to use our intellect. We need to use our minds to figure out how to get what we want. The ice cream is there. My mind is going to tell me, go get it, right? Um, the problem is, 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 is real. My mind is going to tell me how to avoid making myself uncomfortable in the context of that problem, right? So it's our mind who figures out how to get what we want or how to avoid what we don't want. But the Balkan is not telling us that here. The Balkan is saying, the intellect gives birth to those emotions. We just said that those emotions happen in automatically. So 
in what way is our intellect the source of our emotions? And the Baal Tanya continues, he answers this question. Let's read it inside. Uh, three famous words, at least they're famous, they'll be famous. <laughs> they're famous to me. Um, the three big words, okay? So, Seho Hamaylidan, Hanechalak Lashalash, and Chachma Binodas, Makar Hamidas. So the unspoken question is, in what sense are they the midas if we experience our emotions automatically? Nobody has to tell us to feel a certain way. Then why are we calling, why are we saying that our intellect is the source of those emotions? It would seem like the triggers, the outside circumstances, the things that happen to us, the things that we get or the things that other people do, those, those are the source of our emotions. Why are we calling our intellect the source of our emotions? And he says, because the emotions exist in direct proportion to our intellect. So that means that, yes, the automate, the, the, we experience emotions automatically, but that automaticity, that system of how we subconsciously all of a sudden feel are triggered to feel those emotions that is rooted in our value system in our minds in our minds okay because the emotions are in direct proportion to our intellect and then he elaborates and explains this someone who is small will be drawn to will desire and be drawn to small things of lesser value. Why will he be drawn to things of lesser value? Because his mind is small, the cutter and short, to appreciate, to comprehend that there are things that are more precious than these petty stuff. The chain. So that's in terms of love. That's the that's the emotion of attraction. What we're drawn towards. There's there's a way of being attracted from a small perspective, a katan, when we value small stuff, or there's a way of doing it in a big way when we value more mature, more developed, more precious things. And this is not just about what we're drawn to. This also applies to what we pull away from, what we're what we retreat from. The chain. And so also a person will be angry um, and frustrated and upset from small stuff. And also a person who is looking from a small-minded perspective will be proud and will feel beautiful for, for pettiness, for small reasons. Bashar and the same with all of our emotions. We're going to stop here um, and just summarize so far, and then we'll elaborate in greater detail. We'll zoom in on certain details here, okay? So we, learned, we just learned two things. Number one, our emotions happen automatically. We experience them first, and that's why they're mentioned first. In our, I, I, I trip, someone says something nasty, I feel upset. Something disappointing happens, I feel upset, I'm frustrated, uh, something happy happens and I feel happy. 
Okay, we experience our emotions before we even talk to ourselves in our minds. Automatically, those emotions fill our hearts. Number two, the automaticity, that, that automatic response is established. It's ingrained in, it's, it's, um, it's like the system, the hardwire of the system is established by our intellect, by what we value. We will experience emotions around whatever we value. The more we value something, the more emotions we're going to have around that thing. The less we value something, the less emotions we'll experience around that thing. And when I say intense, I mean intense in proportion to how intense you feel, right? Some people's thermostat, some people's capacity for emotion have greater capacity. They just rise higher, they're more intense personalities. Like we said before, you have this, you have a four ounce cup for, for love or an eight ounce cup for love. You have a four ounce cup for frustration, annoyance, hate, uh, or you have an eight ounce cup for that. Okay, so within the range of your own thermostat, of your own emotional capacity, you will have much more intense emotions or less intense emotions, depending on what you value and how much you value it. Okay, now up until here, whatever I said is my own language, but the ideas are aligned. Straight up, straight translation of the Tanya as explained in the Sefer Hasidus Muvueres, which is, to my knowledge, the most um, authoritative, authoritative Sefer for understanding the Tanya. Now, as we just read, the Baal Tanya talks about someone who is small, a katan, who values stuff that are petty, as opposed to someone who's more mature, who values things that are more important and more valuable and truly precious, okay? In the Sefer Hasidus Muvueres, these words are understood to be explaining how our values impact our, our emotions. A young child, a katan, a youngster, experiences emotions around childish matters, while a mature adult experiences emotions around adultish matters. I don't think adultish is a word, but you get, you get what I'm saying, right? Adultish or childish, katan or gadol. But maybe, maybe there's something more that we can see here. Maybe the concept of katan versus gadol is not limited to someone who is young in years or old in years. Many, many, many times elsewhere in Svarim, I'm sure you're all from, you can all think about an example of this. The words young and old are used um, not in terms of years, but in terms of development, in terms of intellectual or emotional maturity. A person could be an adult on the passport and be very, very young in development or young in understanding, young in maturity. One story that comes to mind that just clarifies this, you know that in, in, in Russia, of communist Russia, there was a classroom and a, a teacher, the adult, was trying to teach his students a concept, uh, atheist, uh, atheism. So what he say, he, he encouraged the children to look out the window, look out the window. Do you see the sun shining brightly in the sky? And the kids all nodded, yes, we do. So the teacher says, that means that it's there. And then he pointed in the other direction. He said, you see the tree? You see the tree out there? And the children said, yes, we see the tree. And the teacher said, yes, because it's there. 
And he went from object to object pointing, you see it? That means it's there. And then the teacher said, Do, does anybody here see God? Anybody know where God is? Do you see God anywhere? And the children looked around and of course they said no. And the teacher said, that means God does not exist. There's no such thing as a God. He doesn't exist. If you cannot see it, it's not there. So one of the children raised his hand and said, does anybody see the teacher's eyes? And everybody said, yes. And, and the kid said, because the teacher has eyes. So that's why we see it. Does anybody see the teacher's legs? And of course, everybody said, yes, they do see the teacher's legs. And does anybody see the teacher's hands? And they saw the teacher's hands. And then the kid said, does anybody see the teacher's brains? And of course, nobody could see the teacher's brains. And I don't think he uh, concluded his example. The point is, there is always, every mature adult knows that there's always more going on than just what we see on the outside, right? A child might not know it, but a mature adult does know it. But in this story, who was being more childish? Was it the adult or was it the child? Was it the adult who was absolutely convinced that if you cannot see it, it doesn't exist? Or was it the child who understood that even if you cannot see it, it's still there. And the fact that you cannot see it does not in any way mean that it does not exist. So it's possible to be adult, to be an adult, and to be emotionally, intellectual, intellectually immature. And by contrast, it's, it's possible to have a young child who has a deeper understanding that's beyond his years. So my personal understanding is that when the Balatanya uses the word katan over here, it doesn't, it's not limited to years. We're not just talking about someone who is young versus someone who is old, but someone who is emotionally, intellectually undeveloped versus someone who is more developed and more mature. And why is this important to know? What, what, seriously, we're going to be sitting and figuring out what the Nefesh Bahamas is and what does it mean, young, old, who cares? What makes it helpful, meaningful, and important information? The reason it's super important information, it's super important to know how the Nefesh Bahamas works and to have a very clear, solid understanding of how our Nefesh Bahamas works is because if we know how it works, we know how to work it. If we want to get into the system and adjust it and make changes within it and grow with it or grow from it or grow through it, we need to know how it works. You can only get into a system and, and, and repair it and upgrade it and elevate it if you know how the system works. So we need to know how it works in order to work it. We need to know how it operates in order to operate it. So it was the same with the Nefeshele kiss. We were very interested in knowing how does it, how does the Nefeshele kiss express itself? How does it, how does it dominate our mind? How does it come to show up in our behavior? How does it come to make a difference in our actual conscious mind and heart? And we talked about that at length. So now we also need to know that about our Nefesh Bahamas. Because what the Balakani is telling us here is that our Nefesh Bahamas has a set of values and that these values directly impact every single one of our emotions. Every emotion that's not around Hashem is coming from our Nefesh Bahamas. So we better know, we want to know how these emotions work because we want to master them. We want to get a handle on them. We want to be able to have some sort of self 
control, right? We want to be able to have self, we want to be able to regulate ourselves. Whenever we experience emotions, every emotion that we experience, every ordinary human emotion can always be traced back to a value. And there's a range of values. The more small you, I'm sorry, I, I was saying that if we want to be able to regulate our emotions, we need to know where the buttons are. We need to know how to get a handle on it. So this is how we're going to get a handle on it. This is important information in terms of understanding how we're going to get a handle on it. So there's a range of what we value, okay? The more small we are in terms of our intellectual, emotional maturity, um, the more we will value petty stuff. And the more immature those values are, the more petty stuff we value, the more immature emotions we will have. What does emotional immaturity look like? We're talking about having immature emotions and an immature emotional experience, right? What does that look like? What, is it, what does it mean? I think there's two things that describe emotional immaturity, and we see it in a baby. Two seconds. Look at a seven-month-old baby, and you'll see two very important big facts. Number one, a baby's emotions are completely self-centered. Emotional immaturity means the ability to get locked and absorbed to in so absorbed in our own selves that we don't we are not able to experience other people's emotions we're not able to relate to empathize to even be concerned about other people's emotions because our emotions are taking up all the space if you think about it all the baby's emotions not to not to insult babies babies are born this way and uh, and they're beautiful this way and we love them this way and they teach us through being this way. So all the baby's emotions are about its own human physical comfort needs. If it's comfortable, if it's at ease, if it, if it, if it ate, if it slept, if it um, has a dirty pamper, right? If it's held and hugged, it is okay and it's happy. If the baby is hungry, the baby's gonna scream and cry until it gets food. If you're hungry, the baby might not even notice. The baby has zero emotions around your hungry, about around your hunger. Okay, 100% over the top emotions about its own hunger. So that's the first thing about emotional immaturity is that we're self-absorbed. Second big fact about emotional immaturity, immature emotions, is that there's no reasoning with them. You ever tried convincing a baby to relax? and to go to sleep without eating <laughs> or to to wait for a half hour calmly until his mother returns because you're watching him and his mother's going to be back very very soon just calm down go distract yourself go play go uh, entertain yourself in some other way just don't worry you're getting food in a half hour don't scream as if as if you're going to die you're not Hashem, nothing's happening there's no fire burning you're going to get food in a half hour try try convincing a baby you cannot you could soothe the baby but they will not be calmed until they eat. You could distract them maybe for a minute or two. You could, you know, they'll get tired of crying and they'll calm down, but you cannot convince them. You cannot reason with them. There's no having a logical, rational conversation with them. Um, and a toddler is the same way. A toddler has a temper tantrum. There's no reasoning, no reasoning with the toddler. You could distract, you could soothe, you could hold them, but you cannot reason with immature emotions. And those are the two signs of emotional maturity. Before we're emotionally mature, we're totally self-centered and we cannot 
reason with our emotions. And when we have grown up, you know, our emotions are not, we don't have emotions only about our own self. We also have emotions about other people. We can empathize, we care. We're aware of other people's needs and we care about other people's needs. And another thing is that even when we are upset, we could reason with our emotions. We could pick up our bruised little heart and hold it close and talk to it and say, oh, you're upset. I'm so sorry that you're upset. Oh, I see that you're upset. Can you, can, you, can you think about this? Does that help you? Does that help you feel a little bit better? Can you think about that? Does that help you feel a little bit more calm? We could reason with our emotions. That conversation between our mind and heart is possible only because we're emotionally and intellectually mature. We're intellectually and emotionally developed. We can talk to our emotions. We have conversations between our minds and hearts. We could calm ourselves down. We could self-regulate. We can soothe ourselves. So how do we get there? How do we get there? How do we adultify? Is that a word? How do we adultify ourselves? How do we become adults? How do we grow up? So in the next lines, the Baal Tanya is telling us that there is a set of values that is small, and there's a set of values that is big. And my own understanding of this is that if we want to grow up, if we want to be a more mature human being, we need to take on a mature set of values. We need to allow our ourselves to start appreciating bigger, you know, more deeper, more adult values, more mature values. Now, so what, what does this look like in real time? Okay, the Baal Tanya says all our emotions are impacted by our values, but specifically, the Balatanya explains this in connection to the three primary emotions, chesed, givura, and teferis. Chesed is attraction, givura is withdrawal, retreating, unattraction, if you want to use that word, teferis is beauty. So the first primary emotion is chesed. The word chesed is often translated as kindness, but the essence of chesed is attraction. We're drawn towards something that we love. Um, what what turns us on? What makes what makes something appealing to me? What pulls me? What leads me towards it? Whatever we value, whatever we think is important, that is what we will be drawn to. By contrast, the second primary emotion is gevura, strength and boundaries and withdrawal. The essence of gevura is pulling back, retreating. What do we avoid? What, what pushes us away? The opposite of what we value, what we devalue, what we don't want is going to send us running the other direction. And that's the second primary emotion. The third primary emotion is teferis. And here the Balatanya uses the word hispirus, taking pride. What makes you feel good about yourself? What makes you feel like you're valued? What makes you feel precious? What makes you feel beautiful? The answer will boil down to whatever we value about ourselves because we take it pride in whatever we value and whatever we're invested in. That's what makes us feel beautiful. That's what we take pride in. So these are the three areas of value that make the most important difference to our emotional state of being and to the way we feel about our experiences and about ourselves. 
And really it's two areas because the first two are flip sides of the same coin, right? Number one, what are we attracted to? What makes us happy? And the flip side of whatever we're attracted to is what's, what we're not attracted to, what pushes us away, what sends us running in the other direction, what makes us upset, frustrated, annoyed, angry, if you want to use that word. Okay. And number two, what do we value about ourselves? What makes us feel good about ourselves? What makes us feel beautiful? For each of these big questions, there's a small-minded value and a more mature developed value. Now let's remember that all of this is within the Nefesh Bahamas. It's just our animal self. It's just our human dimension. The Nefesh kiss, our Neshama values only Hashem and nothing but Hashem. Our Neshama is attracted only to Hashem. The only thing that gets our Neshama excited is Hashem, our Neshama. It's Ruchnius, Taira, Mitzvahs. The only thing that gets our Neshama upset is anything other than Hashem, right? Our Neshama takes pride in one thing only, our connection with Hashem, being Hashem's precious children, identifying with Hashem, by Hashem, with Hashem, for Hashem. That's our Neshama. So this entire discussion of values of small versus big, right? Emotionally immature versus emotionally mature. Here we are talking about our Nefesh Bahamas, our human dimension, everything else, all of our values that are unrelated to Hashem. So what's a value? When you say I value something, what are we saying? What we're saying is I decided that this thing, this quality is precious and important. Therefore, I desire it. And by the flip side, the opposite of it, I want to, I want nothing to do with it. It's something that I decide is a value is something that we decide is good or bad. It's our definition of good or bad. So within the Nefesh Bahamas, what is considered small and what is considered big? What is small minded definition of good? And what is a small minded definition of bad? What's, and then by contrast, what's a big minded, what's an adult version of good what's a more developed definition of good and bad in Perak test in tanya when the baal tanya is summarizing the one thing that the nefesh bahamas wants the baal tanya says that it boils down to comforts and pleasures there's one thing that the that the nefesh bahamas wants there's one thing that our human dimension wants it wants to be comfortable we are creatures of comfort we like being comfortable and by contrast anything that's uncomfortable we will try to avoid comfort we we define comfort as good if it's good it means it's comfortable if it's comfortable it means it's good if it's uncomfortable it's bad bad is uncomfortable and uncomfortable is bad that's our most instinctive way of being human we're drawn to whatever is easier, whatever is more comfortable, whatever we don't have to, whatever doesn't make us sweat under the collar. Just like the Nefesh kiss has one definition of good versus bad, right? And that's Hashem. For the Nefesh Bahamas, it's all about comfort and pleasure. Good is comfortable. Uncomfortable is bad. So all the values, small-minded or big, will all fit under this umbrella of comfortable and pleasurable the question is what is it that makes you comfortable what do you consider to be 
comfortable and pleasurable. For an immature person, or let's start with a child, an immature person or a child, if it's easy and I don't have to work for it, if it looks good on the outside, that's comfortable for me and that's good. For a more mature person, easy is not enough. Looking good on the outside is not enough. I need it to be truly, it has to have something deeper. It has to have more true lasting value. And maybe it even has to have meaning in order for me to be comfortable. Let's look at an example of what this looks like in real time, okay? Our most basic undeveloped self naturally avoids whatever is uncomfortable and unpleasurable, right? So if we're sitting on the dentist chair and the dentist drill goes on, what happens to our bodies? We retreat, we withdraw, we're running away. Physically, we're moving out of that chair, right? Or we think about a challenging situation that we have to face that day. You're in bed in the morning. You didn't yet get out of bed. You're still there. And what pops in your mind is what you have to do that day or a challenge or a problem that you discovered the other day or the day before. And it's still, you wake up in the morning and a painful reality. I'm going right back to it. It's hard to get up and start our day when we know that this day ahead is going to be a challenging, challenging day. It's going to be uncomfortable. And that makes it hard for us to get up. We hate discomfort. Okay. And that is, um, and that's, that's our small minded way. That's our instinctive, immature, undeveloped. It's small in the sense that this is our most basic human tendency. This is how we are. If we didn't do any work, if we never try to stretch beyond our childhood, okay, it's our undeveloped state of being. If it's comfortable, we think it's good. If it's uncomfortable, it's bad. We run away. We're not interested, okay? But then when we open our minds to something bigger and we start reasoning with ourselves, then we come to value truth. Our nefesh abahamis that is more developed, more mature, or our own self growing up values truth. And so when we know that something is true, we feel comfortable and at ease. When we know that something is not true, that makes us uncomfortable and unsafe and we run the other way. So just going back to those same examples, a more mature person, a child will just try to run away, get, get me out of the dentist chair and they'll literally try to run away. But a more mature person, even though the dentist chair is uncomfortable, we value truth more than we value the comfort of avoiding the dentist so that gives us the motivation to stick it out and get our teeth taken care of because the truth is these teeth need to be taken care of and if you don't take care of it the problem will be worse so we value truth more than we value comfort and it's the same with our example of being stuck in bed because you're thinking about the challenging day what actually gets you out of bed now just by the way you could always turn on the light of your neshama, right? And inspire yourself and feel that awe of Hashem, that love of Hashem, um, thinking about Hashem's presence. But let's say, you know, we didn't yet build up that system. We, yet, we don't yet have emotions around our thoughts about Hashem. We didn't do the DOS so many times that we discussed in previous chapters, right? So we don't yet have that emotional charge filling up our hearts when we think about Hashem. What else could get us going within our animal self? Are we stuck to our beds just because it's a challenging day? Could we never get out of bed if it's so difficult, right? 
What else could get us going? Our Nefesh Bahamas could help us. Our Nefesh Bahamas could help us. How? Because if we value truth, we will get up anyway. Our sense of commitment to truth doesn't allow us to stay in bed. I cannot lie to myself and tell myself that it doesn't matter if I stay in bed, that it's fully functional to stay in bed. I can't lie to myself and say that it doesn't matter to my family if I stay in bed. I know the truth, okay? It will create dysfunction in my life and in my family if I stay in bed, so I will get up. That's why mature Nefesh Abraham is at work. And you, I'm sure, each of you, each of all of us have those experiences where our basic emotion is we're running after this, but then our sense of truth, true awareness of uh, awareness of truth gives us like, hey, maybe that's unsafe. Um, that's another quick example. A kid, a young child, give, you, you give them a candy, they're running after the candy. A more mature child values truth and says, hey, that's a stranger. There's danger. I'm not sure this is true. He might be an imposter. And, ha- and that awareness, that emotional, intellectual maturity gives him the courage, the strength to stay back, stay away from and not get pulled up by the candy. So the next time you get up in the morning, even though you have a challenging day ahead of you, that means you're mature. You value truth more than you value comfort. Your nefesh abahamis is developed. You've worked on yourself. You're not a kid that just because it's uncomfortable, you stay away and you don't do it. Even though it's uncomfortable, you know it's the right thing to do, and so you do it. Okay. Okay, so truth and honesty, that's what we value when we are emotionally mature. And when we're emotionally mature, we want that truth more than we want the comfort and pleasure. Not just that we want the truth more than we want the comfort and pleasure, but that's how we define comfortable. We're only comfortable if it's true. We want honesty more than we want ease. It's got to be true. I'm not going to be bought off by an imposter. If that couch has bed bugs on it, even if it's a very comfortable couch, I'm not sitting on it. There's a childish part in me that says, don't tell me that it's that the couch has bed bugs. I don't want to know. It's I, I don't want to know that the couch has bed bugs. I, 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 it's so comfortable. I want to just sit here. But our more mature self says, oh my goodness, if it has bed bugs, I'm not sitting here. It's, it's, it's not. It's not a comfortable couch anymore. And all of this maturity is not because we stopped being a Nefesh Bahamas. Every Nefesh Bahamas wants comfort and wants pleasure. It's just that a more developed Nefesh Bahamas, a more mature version of ourselves, is to appreciate the value of truth to the extent that we're only comfortable around truth. And by the way, because we're only comfortable around truth, I hope this is not going to make it too complex, but because we only are comfortable around truth, and because we need to be comfortable, because we're Nefesh Bahamas people, right? We're human. That's why we naturally tend to adjust our values and our beliefs. We try, we adjust the truth to fit our desires, to make us comfortable. And we, we tell ourselves lies, and then we believe those lies. Why? Because let's say I'm uncomfortable doing something wrong. I, 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 I'm uncomfortable having just 
um, been rude and obnoxious. I cut somebody off, I'm driving and I cut somebody off and that was wrong. And I'm uncomfortable facing that truth. So I'll mumble under my breath, I'll say, oh, that person, they would, they would never, if I would, if I would stay behind them, I would never get where I needed to go because that person was going so slow. We kind of rationalize and justify our rude and obnoxious behavior because we're uncomfortable seeing ourselves as somebody who is rude or somebody who did something you know, that's out of line of our true values. So we rationalize those, right? We tell ourselves lies and then we believe them. Um, the thought of diverting from the truth is way, is, is uncomfortable. We're not gonna do it. But to actually change our behavior, that's also uncomfortable. So what do we do? We adjust our beliefs to accommodate our behavior. We rationalize our behavior. We lie to ourselves and we believe those lies. A good example of this, I think that we could all relate to is how we eat food. What is considered good food? What's considered good food? From a small minded perspective, if it tastes good, I don't care what's in it. If it looks appealing, it looks appetizing and it tastes good to my, to my taste buds, it is good and I will eat it. Don't mention the word nutrition. Don't mention the word fats. Don't mention the word anything else. If it tastes fantastic, it is fantastic. And I don't want to hear anything else. Okay. Um, and if it tastes anything less than fantastic, it's not good food. But the truth is that food is so much more than taste, right? Food is nutrition. We are what we eat. Whatever we eat goes into our bloodstream and creates our health or our lack of health. So from this more mature perspective, the best food is what is healthy and what is going to give us a strong body, what's good for us on a deeper level. And of course we want it to taste good, but if it's made from chemicals, you know, if, if that donut has enough chemicals on it to keep it fresh for a week, just knowing that, that it's so loaded with chemicals or for two, it's loaded with enough chemicals to keep it fresh for a month. Uh, it makes me nauseous because if it's bad for my health, I'm not excited about it. But let's say I want to enjoy that donut, even though it's unhealthy for me. All I have to do is convince myself that those chemicals are not really going to bother me at all. It, they're just, it doesn't really matter. It actually is not healthy. I could, a very immature person doesn't want to hear about nutrition. A more mature person wants to hear about nutrition, but most of us, we want to hear about nutrition and we value nutrition because we value truth, but we allow ourselves to indulge in unhealthy food and we convince ourselves that it doesn't really matter. It's not going to really make us unhealthy. A person could say this piece of pizza with three layers of extra cheese and a diet Coke is perfectly good for me. It's going to make me have a happy, fulfilling day, and it's going to be good for my body. So that's most of us. We want to be mature, but we get stuck. And, and so we adjust our beliefs to accommodate our desire for the physical comfort. We subconsciously cover up the truth from ourselves. But okay, that's a whole, um, that's a whole side point, but that's where rational, rationalizing comes in, right? We know that it's a value to tell the truth, right? But if it's uncomfortable to tell the truth, then we might be convinced, we might convince ourselves to tell a lie and we'll even 
play a lie, will play along with something, will present um, totally, you know, I'll, I'll pretend I like it, I'll pretend I'm happy because that's gonna make the other person uncomfortable. Now maybe that's, maybe that's the truth, maybe that's a value, but we don't even really think about it. We don't even look at a lie. If I have to tell a lie to protect myself from being uncomfortable, to protect the other person from being uncomfortable, which would make me even more uncomfortable, then we kind of allow ourselves to do that. It's just what we do. It's good. It's right. It feels it feels right. And that's what I mean when I say we are mature, we value truth, but we are immature in that we really are married to our comfort and we're so married to it that we don't even realize how we adjust our sense of truth to, to accommodate our more our, or more inherent our deeper drive for comfort okay but we need to develop awareness of these values because without awareness we blindly choose comfort over truth and then from there we can easily hurt ourselves and others um, we pretend we're not authentic um, and we pretend such a, in such a way that we even then believe our lies and we get confused and somebody asks you, what do you want? What do you think? What do you feel? I don't even know anymore what I think because the last time I had an honest conversation between my mind and, a heart, and, and heart was like, you know, a few years ago, right? Um, so it's all in here, Perak Vav in Tanya, chapter six. Where in your life do you value, does your desire for comfort direct your decisions where in your life is your desire for truth bigger and more important than your desire for comfort if you ask yourself these questions as you go through your day and develop awareness of our values of your values you will be you'll be engaging and actually growing up because once you're aware of your values once you're aware of what's driving you you can consciously develop appreciation of the values that you want to live by. But without awareness of our values, we can easily hurt ourselves and others. We're just driven by comfort where, you know, when comfortable equals good, um, discomfort equals bad. We avoid important work just because it's uncomfortable. And if this happens without our awareness, it can be destructive in our lives. Think about the habits that we just don't change because we are so comfortable doing them, that we blind ourselves from the truth about them. Think about the pretending that we do. Think about the lying that we do to ourselves. Um, it could really be destructive in our lives and our, and our relationships. Now, all of this that we just spoke about was about chesed and gavur, attraction and withdrawal. Okay, We're born with an attraction to what's comfortable, and as we grow, we can develop an appreciation for the truth, for the comfort and security that comes with truth, that we could only get from being aligned with truth. Now, the third primary emotion is Tiferes, which means beauty. And as a value, the Balatanya calls it Hispirus, taking pride. What makes you feel beautiful? What makes you feel important? What makes you feel good about yourself? What makes you a good person? What makes you a bad person? The small-minded way of evaluating ourselves is by, like what we said before, everything external, everything you know on the outside, everything that other people say, other, uh, everything that other people do, circumstances, conditions, 
um, stuff about me that's not really me, external stuff, how we look, what we accomplish, what we don't accomplish, how much we succeed, how much we fail, how skinny we are, how overweight we are, what we, what we get on social media if we're attached to social media, the compliments we get, the likes that we get, approval, validation, you know, recommendation, how, how good our hair looks, how good our shape looks, all of this is small-minded stuff and we value ourselves because of this if i am good because someone says i'm good then that's emotional immaturity right when i'm two and my 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 mother gives me a gold star and says good girl because you whatever you know because i smiled then um that's that for a child they know that that's what made them now a good girl by smiling or by looking cute now they now they became good um, by you know behaving, by being quiet, by cooperating. We develop a sense of what is good by um, even before we where we come into adulthood with a, with already all that stuff um, embedded in our minds, in our subconscious, in the subconscious of our minds from when we're children, from what we developed even before we were um, aware that we were forming a sense of values. But the more mature way of evaluating ourselves is by our true value. It's by that conscious choice to value ourselves for our inherent, untouchable, unchangeable value. And that value exists regardless of what we have, regardless of what we don't have, regardless of what we achieved, irrelevant of our success, our failure, um, how skinny we are, how whatever else about us, how rich we are, how poor we are, we are inherently valued because Hashem said so. Because Hashem invests a part of himself within us, each of us has immense, limitless, untouchable value. When we are emotionally mature, we value ourselves for this deeper truth. So as human beings, we will naturally feel hurt when we're uncomfortable, when people are mean to us or people don't appreciate us, we'll naturally feel upset when things don't go the way we would like them to go. When things are overwhelming, when there's too many demands, um, when we're faced with stressful, difficult circumstances, situations, and by contrast, we'll naturally feel happy when people are kind. And we'll feel ashamed when we are disrespected or when we're unappreciated or unwanted, when we're dismissed, rejected will feel ashamed. The work of emotional maturity is recognizing these emotions as they are and being able to talk ourselves through them. How? By reminding ourselves of our true value, by leaning into our true value, holding onto that true value, and with that, helping ourselves feel better. Sometimes we're uncomfortable with our human emotions. We think that we're supposed to be bigger than we are. I'm not supposed to have these emotions, right? But real emotional maturity is not about not having emotions. A person who never has emotions never has the opportunity to grow up because every person has emotions. It's just about being aware. So if you never have emotions, that just means you're emotionally immature because you're not aware of how your emotions are playing a role in your life. And then you never have the opportunity to work, to consciously grow, to consciously serve Hashem, to consciously embrace truth, including Hashem's truth, and, and work with that and allow that to make a difference. So having emotions is the starting point. 
even if those emotions are messy and even if those emotions feel quote unquote immature, very intense and very self-absorbing and we can't reason with ourselves, we can't rationalize with ourselves, we can always take a deep breath and remind ourselves that we do have it in us to be emotionally mature. And what that looks like is to be aware <laughs> that there's a process going on, to be aware that there's a that that the truth exists beyond ourselves, and it's not the reality is not just determined by our emotions in this moment. There's a bigger reality. We're gonna zoom out our lens and try to take in that bigger reality. Number one, and number two is our ability to reason with ourselves, our ability to have a conversation between between our mind and our heart. So if you have unpleasant emotions, if you have what you might feel on label as childish emotions, right? Emotional immaturity, know that this is the point of power. This is where you have that ability to grow, to stretch, to become a emotionally, intellectually mature adult. It's only through working through our emotions not by overriding them, not by rejecting them, not by dismissing them, not by pretending that they're not there. No, we deal with them by having conversations with them, by opening them up, by talking ourselves through them, by zooming out the lens and seeing them in context of a deeper, bigger, diversified reality. Now, the Tanya is the classic fundamental text, right? In, in, um, in Avedis Hashem. And here we are taught that human emotions are part of being human. We cannot escape being human. The only thing we can work, the only thing we can do about our emotions is work through our humanness. We can grow, we can stretch, we can use the tools that we've been talking about here. But the foundation of it all is our ability to have conversations with ourselves, conversations between our minds and our hearts. And for that, we need to have awareness that those emotions are there. We need to be able to be honest with ourselves. Okay, here's a whole different thought in a whole different direction, but it inspired me and I hope it will be meaningful to you too. In the book that I wrote, Your Awesome Self, most of the book, I'm actually talking to our human selves, our Nefesh Bahamas. I'm appealing to our, I'm saying, do you want to be comfortable emotionally? Do you want to have happy we didn't even before we even say the word Hashem we do say the word Hashem but in a certain sense I'm appealing to our human desire for healthy strong meaningful satisfying relationships and just being being able to feel good on the inside um, and I'm appealing to our value of truth and yes of course Hashem is that ultimate truth Hashem is absolutely the ultimate overarching truth, but our Nefesh Bahamas, our, our animal self can appreciate, can understand that when we diverge from truth, we will experience emotional chaos, emotional agony, which is the opposite of the comfort that we want, even with our animal self. And in the book, I use that as a bridge to help us elevate our Nefesh Bahamas to a state of getting on board with our Nefesh kiss, because even our natural human dimension, even our animalistic self-centered drive for comfort and pleasure could appreciate that the only way to have emotional health, emotional wellness, emotional comfort and pleasure is when we are aligned with 
Hashem's MS. The only way to be emotionally mature, emotionally developed, emotionally healthy is when we're aligned with truth. If we're only driven by comfort, that is chaos. So this quest, this urgent need for emotional peace is really unrelatable to people of the previous generation. It's new. It's new for our generation. And I don't think it's a bad thing. It's part of who we are. It's part of being the generation that is standing literally on the threshold of the Geula. Because previous generations were busy surviving. They were literally busy physically surviving. Their lives and their physical well-being was constant. Their, their lives were threatened. There was no basic safety or security. Emotions were a luxury. Literally, emotions were a luxury. There was no time, no space in their minds, in their hearts, and in the physical reality to deal with emotions. So emotions did not matter. You just had to get things done. And so there was no need. And therefore, there was no opportunity. There was no opportunity to get involved with the Nefesh HaBahamis, with our animal self. There was no space to elevate the emotions. They needed to be ignored and pushed aside. Emotions, by definition, were a distraction from serving Hashem. Human emotions were a distraction for serving Hashem. And that's why in many of the classes um, that you will read or learn or listen to about the Tanya, um, the Nevesh of Bahamas is introduced as, you know, counterintelligence, know the enemy, know the other side, right? Know the force of distraction and delusion. And the Baal Tanya himself calls it bad because of its possibility for distraction. And yet later on in Tanya, we are encouraged and we know the ultimate goal is to, first of all, put a leash on our Nefesh Bahamas to sublimate it, to, to not act on the badness of it, to not act on the distraction of it, but that's not enough. We also want to harness that energy. We want to bring that passion on board and use it, transform it to a state of being actu actually involved in our service of Hashem. So when Mashiach comes, our Nefesh Bahamas, our animal self, will be completely transformed to Kedusha. We know that the Yetzirah will be shechted. There won't be any more Yetzirah. There won't be a part in us and a force in the world that will tell us that, you know, that, that, that our Nefesh Bahamas is all there is. It will never be a full stop. Our human selves will never again be a full stop. That's, the Yetzirah is going to be shechted. But our animal self will be transformed. It won't be shechted. It will be transformed. Our animal self will want Hashem with the same passion and urgency, with the same intensity that we want to be comfortable. All that energy that we naturally experience around making ourselves comfortable, we will experience all that energy in our relationship with Hashem. Just as much as we are driven to pursue comfort, we will be driven to pursue Taira Mitzvah, driven to pursue an active, dynamic relationship with Hashem. Why? Because it's the truth. And we want the truth and we need the truth. So maybe the act, maybe the path of this ultimate transfer, of, of this ultimate transformation, maybe the path to that transformation begins here and now in the work that we are doing together. 
the work to recognize that Hashem is the ultimate truth and to develop our appreciation and commitment to the truth, even with our human dimension, even with our animal self, even our nefesh abahamis, our natural animalistic self that could be a distraction because a nefesh abahamis that is so married to comfort that it is absorbed with self, like an immature nefesh abahamis, right? Like we said before, that only sees itself, meaning if I am sad, then only sadness exists and, and there's no reasoning with it. There's nothing outside of it. There's no reality that I want to put it in context of. I am sad. I am going to do sad and I will be sad until something else happens to change it. That's emotional immaturity. And that's a gullus, stuck in gullus kind of way of being. But the work that we're doing is putting our, is, is emotional immaturity, emotional health, emotional wellness. What we're doing is talking to our nefesh of Bahamas, talking to those emotions, validating that they are there and putting them in context of the rest of our reality and then having that conversation between our mind and our heart. So even our nefesh of Bahamas, our natural animalistic self wants truth. Even our nefesh of Bahamas could appreciate that serving Hashem and being aligned with Hashem's truth is the ultimate goodness that we can experience in our lives and is the secret and the key to our healthy, thriving, satisfying sense of well-being and, um, and, and our relationships. Because our Nefesh Bahamas wants happiness. Our Nefesh Bahamas is the part of us that wants peace, that wants to get along with other people, that wants everything to just be smooth and pleasant and a positive, happy environment. Of course, our neshama wants that too, but our neshama wants that only as it relates to Hashem. It's our nefesh Bahamas that wants it as a value in and of itself. Now, many years ago, people could have imagined that having a lot of money and all the physical comforts in, and pleasures in the world could give us happiness, security, comfort, and peace, right? In a generation where everyone was poor, where even the richest person only had one suit for Shabbos and one and a second suit for weekday. My father remembers hearing how the queen of uh, the queen of England came to visit and she had the news. He remembers the news that people were talking about that was printed in the newspaper. It was like the queen had a separate dress. Could you imagine? She had a different dress for every single day of the week. What an unheard of luxury today. Every schnook has more than seven dresses in their closets. And if and even with the seven dresses, we tell ourselves we have nothing to wear, right? People could have, so in those days, people could have imagined that if only they would be like the queen or the, you know, the princess, we would have more things, then we would also have more happiness and we would have more dignity and we'd have more of a sense of well-being. But by now, all these years later and all the millions and billions of dollars later, we know with absolute certainty that that idea is a myth. It's a lie. Never, never, never was true. It's an outdated lie. Many people have attained, have, have, have attained fabulous, fabulous wealth and have told us with their wealth, standing in their gowns and gems and diamonds and billions of dollars based on their firsthand experience that money and physical comforts and pleasures do not give us the happiness and the inner peace that we so desperately, urgently crave. 
Nobody could buy happiness. Nobody could buy peace. There's no money in the world that could buy it. No comforts and no pleasure can give us even one drop of inner peace. But when we value Hashem, when we value the truth, and we know that Hashem is the ultimate truth, and we commit to that truth, and we live by that truth, we allow ourselves to be elevated, we grow up emotionally, that's how we can have full and complete inner peace, even without the comforts and pleasures. And of course, may everyone be blessed with a lot of money and a lot of comforts and a lot of pleasures, but that's not my point. My point is that um, emotional maturity is valuing truth. And when we realize that Hashem is the only absolute overarching supreme truth, aligning ourselves with that truth is the key to inner happiness, inner peace, and all the comfort and security that we desperately crave, the healthy relationships, the thriving sense of well-being that we all want, and that is really our birthright. More and more people are realizing this and starting to live by this. And to me, this is the path of Geula, where we can live with awareness of Hashem all day, every day, in every situation. And of course, why are we living with awareness of Hashem in all day and every day situation? Because it's not just about our neshama. It's our nefesh Bahamas. When we eat, when we sleep, we want emotional health. We need it. We need inner peace. We need security. We need to be comfortable with ourselves. We need our relationships to be healthy and satisfying and peaceful. We just need that. And now we know that to get that, the, the process of growth is, is about valuing truth. Maturity is going to come through valuing truth and committing to live by that, that truth. Ultimate truth is Hashem. So, of course, we still need to put a leash on our Nefesh Bahamas on our animal self so that it doesn't control us because we still have a tendency and an urgency for physical comfort and pleasure in a way that's more base, in a way that is, right? We still want comfort and pleasure beyond truth. My, my most basic primitive self says, I don't care if it's unhealthy, I still want it, right? That's my most basic primitive Nevesha Bahamas and I still need to put a leash on that because if it controls me, then I, if, it, if I don't put a leash on my Nefesh Bahamas, then my Nefesh Bahamas puts a leash on me and it controls my life. So of course we wanna do all the work. We, so that's one thing, we have to do that work. And another thing is we wanna do all the work we talked about in the last few weeks. We wanna turn on that light of our Neshama. We wanna activate and have direct access to our infinite, limitless spiritual wealth. All the work that we talked about in the past few pruck and learning about Hashem, thinking about Hashem and developing a personal, active consciousness of Hashem's presence in our life. We all want to do that too. That's turning on the light of our shama. But we can do more than that, more than all of that. We can bring our animal self, our nefesh of Hamas, our human dimension on board. Right? Rashi says right then, right then and there. We want to love Hashem with our whole heart. Even with our human dimension, there's not going to be one inch of our hearts that's going to be left out of this service, of this mission, of this purpose. We can get our animal self excited to be aligned with Hashem's MS because when we are aligned, the language that we're using with our Nefesh Bahamas, with our human self is we know 
that when we are aligned with Hashem's truth, with Hashem's MS, it's not just a gift for Olam Haba. It's not just something that will, you know, very nice. I'll have a nice Olam Haba after 120 years when my time on earth is finished. No, no, no. It gives us more than spiritual pleasure, more spiritual benefit. We are happier, emotionally richer in our physical, practical lives right here, right now, when we value truth and when we recognize Hashem's truth and we're aligned with that truth. We have stronger, healthy relationships. We have a much better quality of life. Now, what if I told you that there's a magic pill that you can take for emotional maturity, for growing up? for coming to a place where you value truth and you're committed to that truth and you are actually aligned with that truth. What if I told you that there is something you can take that will automatically give you, you know, that total upgrade in your system. You'll automatically value truth as the ultimate comfort and you will never again be plagued by lies that you believe because you'll value truth that much and you won't compromise it for anything. You will always stay in the truth. How much would that be worth on a scale of one to 10? Learning Tanya gives us that transformation, not in a magical way, not in a way that's any ounce of fake. It's 100% real. We get it in a process that is true and it really gets us to where we want to be. So that's my... Uh, commercial for doing this work, for coming together week after week, step after step, bringing what we did this today is um, the beginning of bringing our animal self on board. Emir Hashem, next week, we're going to continue chapter six, um, and we're going to learn the birthing stone of ego versus valuing our true self. It's very, very exciting. So I look forward to seeing you again next week. And um, keep coming back, keep learning, because we are going places. Be Ezra's Hashem. Thank you so much for joining.